0: Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of the Viva Albertos podcast. My name is Ben Humphrey. I am the site manager for VivaAlbertos.com, a St. Louis Cardinals community where we like to analyze and discuss St. Louis Cardinals baseball. This is the first podcast of the new year. We are in a bit of a down part of the off season, sort of the lull before the winter warmups and after the winter meetings. And I'm joined on this chilly January day by Viva Alberto's editor, Joe Schwartz. Joe, thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I, I'm ready to talk a little bit of baseball.
0: So am I. And if you, uh, if you have any questions um, about the Cardinals or Major League Baseball in general, the Hall of Fame, whatever the case may be, feel free to uh, email me at veb.bgh at gmail.com. That's V-E-B as in Viva Alberto's dot BGH as in Ben G Humphrey at gmail.com. And we'll be happy uh, to field your questions on the air. You can also reach us on Twitter. Joe is at STL cup of Joe. And that's all one word at STL cup of Joe. And I am at B underscore G underscore H. And you can uh, reach out to us uh, via either one of those mediums. And uh, we'll answer your questions on the podcast. Um, this week, or not this week, but last week, um, the Cardinals' uh, Zips projections, Dave Zimborski, or Dan Zimborski, excuse me, um, an ESPN writer who also has done, developed the Zips projection system, Joe, uh, released the Cardinals' Zips, and uh, they actually released them as early as they did because uh, Viva Albertos community members uh, solved uh, one of the Zips riddles and pushed us up uh, in the release time date and uh, we now have them and it's always a fun time of the year there isn't baseball uh, live baseball being played the Cardinals are not playing games so we can sort of look at these projections which are sort of an estimate of what is most likely to happen and uh, it's just kind of fun to see what uh, Zips projects the Cardinals to do in the 2015 season and as an initial matter, I feel like Zips is typically a little bit more conservative than the other projection systems. And I say that, Joe, because I was tickled pink by how good the projections were for the Cardinals. I mean, I think this is about as good as one could hope for from Zips. What did you think?
1: Yeah, I thought so as well. Uh, when I looked at the the roster or the little depth chart that... Uh, Carson Sistuli, is that how you pronounce his name? Sistuli. Sistuli. When he put out that depth chart the night before, teased us with it, I was like, whoa, that's a really good team. And seeing only one position player with a, a wins above replacement of one was pretty impressive considering a lot of the teams that Dan already put out had a had a couple people at one. Even some of them had zeros at positions. But having a whole team of Twos, threes, fours, and even fives was pretty impressive. And then, when you look at the starting rotation and Lance Lynn, I love him. But when he's projected at four wins above replacement, I feel like that's a that's a pretty lofty projection for him. And and I I hope he can do it. But I I, I that was the most surprising to me, to be honest with you.
0: And what um, because these they follow they follow the basic you know or they tend to round uh those projections and yeah. um what about Lynn you know and, and the reason I ask is we're looking at you know runs prevented here or mm-hmm. uh and that's really been there's always been a gap between Lance Lynn's peripheral numbers um, his strikeouts and walks and home runs allowed and his runs allowed numbers, which is his ERA, that is, until last year. Um, and there was a gap, but it was one that was helpful to the Cardinals' bottom line. And, you know, I feel if you look at, um, you know, you look at Lynn's, fielding independent stats, and he's been quite consistent in terms of strikeouts, uh, walks, and homers. Uh, it's the runs allowed that has been different. Um, but even taking that into account, you're right. He's only been usually a three-win pitcher. And um, so I think that is that is certainly a surprising um, number. And I was, I was also surprised because to an extent, we're talking about wins, we're talking about wins above replacement, and wins above replacement is a counting stat to an extent. You know, a pitcher who has a 3 R A, an ERA of 3 over 210 innings, for example, um, well not an ERA, but let's say a 3 FIP for 210 innings is going to be more valuable than a pitcher who has a 3 FIP for 190 innings, right? Correct. And so I was surprised. I thought maybe it saw an uptick perhaps in, um, you know, in innings pitched or something along those lines uh, to get him to that high number. Um, But they only project him for 192 innings pitched, which is about 10 less than he's thrown uh, each of the last two seasons. And so I was kind of interested to see uh, that, that he was they projected him to be that good uh without an uptick in innings you know that that was what was really su- surprising for me i mean what what stuck out to you about that that zips well,
1: it it looks like they they bumped his k percentage back up um not very much but a, but a little bit and i feel like that might be one of the factors that we're looking at because it bumped him back up to a 22.4% and last year um it was down to like 20.9% and it seemed like uh he was going to his two seamer more and though he still gets a, and I've written about this before well though he still gets a lot of swings and misses with his two seamer it also leads to a lot of ground balls and I think that's a lot of the reason is why he was able to develop a lot more this year is that He depended on his infielders a little bit more last year because our defense last year was a whole lot better. And it's interesting to see that Zips has his strikeout percentage going back up because I feel like he gained a lot of comfort with his two-seamer or his sinker, however you want to call it, and I feel like he'd go with that more in 2015. And And I think that's part of the reason why, his winds above replacement is projected at 3.8 in zips
0: and and i thought it was inter- another interesting aspect of it is we just talked about how his era is kind of seesawed it's gone from being unsustainably high compared to his peripherals um, to now being unsustainably low you know there's really no reason to expect Lance Lynn to have a 274 ERA again next year when his FIP was 3.35 and his ex uh was 3.81 and uh, for folks who don't know what ex-FIP is it just it looks at a pitcher's a pitcher's individual strikeout rate and his individual walk rate and then it substitutes in the league average rate for home runs allowed and it, it tends to be more predictive than ERA from year to year uh, at predicting future ERA, which is to say that er, that a pitcher's ERA in the next season is typically closer to his XFIP uh, than his ERA from the prior season. But the thing that's tough about XFIP with the Cardinals, Joe, is uh, Bush Stadium. It suppresses home runs. Um, And they also throw a fair amount of sinkers. And so, you know, I feel like Cardinals pitchers posting a below average home run rate is not as worrisome as, say, a Red Sox pitcher pitching a below average home run yeah. rate or a Cubs pitcher posting a below average home run rate because their home stadiums are more hitter friendly. Um, but back to... Uh, Zips and Lynn, uh, Zips projects a 3.27 ERA for Lynn and a 3.36 FIP. And, you know, I just look at that projection and I feel like he's probably going to have more innings pitched than it. But I also feel uh, that his ERA and FIP, I mean, there's nothing in that projection that screams unrealistic to me. It all seems perfectly within the realm of. Of not even not only just what is possible, but what is most probable. Like, it's a very uh, conservative estimation until you get to that wins above replacement number.
1: Yeah, and and I agree. I hope that he does have more innings pitched, um, coming off two years in a row with over 200 innings. I mean, we'd hope to get to that point where we could expect it, but as we know with pitchers and we know with arms uh i hope we i i hope it happens but i'm not counting on it
0: well uh knowing what we know about arms uh there is another uh pitcher who uh jumped out at me and you know that is michael walker and and it is the season of projections and projections usually use some sort of uh, weight it's a weighted calculation based on recent seasons, and they usually give more weight to most recent seasons. And a lot of times the way you see that play out in terms of starting pitchers who have had injuries or who have split time between the bullpen and the rotation or split time between the minors and the rotation is you'll see something less than a full season's worth of innings. And Zips projects Waka uh, to throw 129 in a third innings, and have a 3.27 ERA and a 3.39 FIP. So basically, Zips projects Michael Waka to be Lance Lynn, but only over about 130 innings, which I thought was very interesting, um, given how good Wacha looked before he hit the disabled list. And maybe I'm just, and Zips doesn't know the nature of his injury. He doesn't. Zips doesn't know. That his changeup didn't look as good, and his fastball he wasn't able to spot like he was before when he came back from the disabled list. But I mean, number one, um, knowing what we know, which Zips does not necessarily know, uh, what do you think, Michael Walker, over or under a hundred and thirty innings pitched?
1: Uh. That's a, that's a tough question because that's like right at where I would even expect from him next year. I would pr- – call me negative, but I, I'm probably going to go with the under on this one uh, just because I don't that, – that that injury worries me a little bit. Obviously, if he's not changing anything mechanically, if it is going to repeat – or be a recurring injury, which – In previous pitchers, it has been. Um, And if they want him to have any impact in the playoffs, I mean a positive impact in the playoffs, unlike last year, uh, I think they want to conserve him a little bit. And being a little bit less than 130 innings, maybe a couple visits to the disabled list, I'd I'd probably pick the under.
0: Uh, And I tend to agree with you, but I thought that the – the zips projection, as you just said, it's, it's a really good over under projection or number. You know what I mean? How, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, you always do the over under and it's that, that point, right. Where you're just kind of like, and, and that's the way I felt about walking. I, I wanted to put you on the spot, Joe, and see how you felt about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's an injury. That's kind of scary. Um, though, McCarthy, it was McCarthy, correct? That yep. had this as well. Though he told Heather to not worry about it, um I'm going to worry about it until we get a, an extended period where he's healthy, and an extended period where he's effective, and, a, and an extended period where he can locate that fastball, other than just throw it 97 miles an hour and have no idea where it's going, or or throw that changeup and it's more of a floater than a than a diver, like it was before he got hurt. Yeah,
0: and um, you know McCarthy must have said something similar to the Dodgers uh, to get a four-year, forty-eight million dollar deal. Yeah. Um. And at, at the press conference where they announced that deal, he mentioned that he had done uh, some workout. Uh, to increase upper body strength to remove the stress uh, from his shoulder um, so that it's the muscle is not pulling the same way on the bone and causing the stress fracture. And he seems to feel, and the Dodgers apparently feel, if they're willing to give him a four-year contract worth, worth almost $50 million, um, they apparently feel that that his issue, which is very similar to Walka's, Walker and McCarthy are two pitchers who have had this um, the stress fracture, and they found Walkers before it became a stress fracture. So it was, uh, it was not as severe as McCarthy's has been. Um, and, and that kind of heartened me to an extent. Uh, but it's also worth pointing out, McCarthy just threw over 200 innings for the first time in his career. He's been dealing with this for years. And so hopefully uh, the Cardinals are able to learn from McCarthy and also cast a wide net and learn the best practices for dealing with Waka this year, and hopefully he's able to to throw for over uh, 130 innings. Um, the other number that jumped out at me uh, was was John Lackey, and he is projected to basically be a league average pitcher by ERA and FIP, give or take, right, very close. Uh, Over uh, 176 innings, I think he might throw more than that. But that's exactly what I think the Cardinals want. They want someone that they can pencil in for, you know, 175, frankly, probably to 195 innings and just eat innings and be around a league average pitcher in terms of ERA. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you know that's the plan and then you see it on Zips and it's like, oh, this projection system um, foresees that John Lackey will be the pitcher the Cardinals want him to be, and I thought that was, uh, you know, at once heartening and probably not all that surprising. Um, but I thought that was uh, an interesting figure. Are there any other players, Joe, that stick out with you from the Zips projections?
1: Um, and we did we didn't discuss this earlier, but I I was taking a look at rosenthal just now and seeing that he threw they have him projected for 77 and two-thirds innings um i feel like what did he throw last? let me take a look to see what he threw last year because so i feel like that's a lot of innings yeah last year he threw 70 and a third innings so just a quick look at them projecting him at 77 and two-thirds that that really stands out to me and and his strikeout rate is awesome. Uh, and his walk rate went down a little bit. So that's good. But having him pro- – we, we had a lot of issues and a lot of discussions on Beav Alberto's last year about him being overused and him being used on two day, or three days in a row, sometimes four days in a row, sometimes three days in a row after throwing 30 pitches the inning before – or the day before – I find that hard to believe that he's going to get uh, that many innings in 2015, and and if he does, I I think he's going to be gassed by October.
0: Well, closers close, Joe. <laughs> yeah, and and sometimes they struggle, but they get the job done. No, I I agree. The uh, that is a lot of innings, and it's a if Matheny uses Rosenthal the way he did, sort of down the home stretch of 2014, he won't, he won't come particularly close to that uh, number. Um, But if he uses him like he did the first part of that, of last year, you know, I mean, he could get to 80 innings and it wouldn't surprise me. Um, And so that will be, uh, that will be very interesting to see. And, and, you know, we have looked at that um, on the website, sort of the reliever, usage rates and we've sort of projected it over the 162 game season and i think it was last april or maybe when the calendar was even turning from april to may maybe no i think it was earlier in april we were looking at it and like rosenthal was on pace to throw over 100 innings and carlos martinez was on pace to throw over 120 out of the bullpen (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and it was just like uh might want to take our foot off the gas it's april mike yeah. um and he did to his credit he did um now some of that was martinez being shuffled back and forth between aaa uh, and the starting rotation in the bullpen uh, but he took his his foot off the gas uh for rosenthal as well uh, and and he deserves uh, some credit for that um i brought up carlos martinez how about that zips projection joe i mean there they foresee him to th- to give the Cardinals 150 innings. Uh, I keep saying they. I should say it. Zips foresees yeah. Martinez. It's it's not Zimborski doesn't have minions that I know of <laughs> that help him. Good. He <laughs> yeah, knowing
1: who he is, there's a possibility that he does. Uh,
0: so the the Zips minions, uh, Zips projects uh, Martinez for 150 in- innings pitched. Uh, and roughly a league average ERA. And tell you what, that would be pretty great to have out of the fifth starter spot, I thought.
1: Oh, absolutely. And when I originally saw that, I was kind of, that 150 innings projected, I was like, I I don't know about that. Uh, But when you combine, and I didn't do this, my apologies, but when you combine his minor league innings and his major league innings and his postseason innings and even his winter league innings from this year, I would believe he's near 150. Um, maybe maybe not, but I'd believe he's near it. So I don't think it's impossible for him to do that because he's never been a starter. So when you think of 150 innings for a pitcher like him, you're like, whoa. But I, I think he could do it. And uh, like, like you said, the rest of the league average – projections i'd i'd absolutely take it especially considering that he's he's had a little bit of trouble with being consistent uh to this point of his career so i think that would be a very successful first season in the rotation
0: oh i think it would too Uh, i think i would be surprised to see him get to 150 innings um and quite frankly I, i would be surprised to see waka get to 150 innings and I would not be at all sad to see Tyler Lyons or or Cooney um, coming up and taking starts from them every once in a while just to kind of give them a breather uh, and allow them to sort of gradually break in uh, to this full season's worth of work. Waka, because of his shoulder history, and, and Martinez, because he's just never... He has never had that type of workload in a summer. And I know you're talking yeah. about this this longer time period, but there are breaks built in there um, at certain points as well. And when you're throwing as a reliever, it's different than throwing as a starter. And, you know, we heard the term dead arm thrown around a little too often last year, but it's just where your body hits a wall. And, you know, you just you aren't able to throw the way that you were throwing and you're seeing it happen with these established veterans. Well, it can happen uh, with youngsters too. And I would not be at all upset to see the Cardinals sort of banking innings with both Waka and Martinez so that they are hopefully fresh if the team is able to qualify for October. But even aside from that, so that they aren't, they aren't pushed too hard and they don't suffer any sort of physical setbacks uh over the course of the year i wouldn't be it would not make me sad to see the cardinals use some triple a pitchers t- for some spot starts throughout the year i i mean like,
1: I, if you're go, talking banking innings then i'd almost consider banking innings for for the ace as well so for wainwright it's one of those things that it's nice to have those arms down there that are available even moving down to Zach Petrick. I, I, I believe like if, if you can get a a Wednesday afternoon start out of any one of those three and, and give Wainwright a break and, or give Wainwright a a spot off, I know it's going to be tough to tell him to take a break, but if you give him a break, if you give Waka a break, you give Martinez a break. I feel like that's best for the the long-term of just this season, but also the long-term of all of their careers as well.
0: Yeah, and you look at uh, Wainwright's elbow, uh, which is already at the Tommy John surgery, uh, had the cartilage shaved off the back um, this off season. I know that... Uh, Aaron Schaefer and I talked about it last week, and I don't want to dwell on it too far. Um, but the number one indicator of future injury is past injury. And given the struggles Wainwright has had with being, the physical struggles he has had with being that workhorse, you know, the Car- yeah, the Cardinals beat the Dodgers, but the Cardinals didn't beat the Dodgers thanks to Adam Wainwright. You know, mm-hmm. they beat the Dodgers in spite of Adam Wainwright. And this club is not built to beat teams in spite of Adam Wainwright's pitching. Okay. Yeah. And so I think that they need to be more forward thinking, uh, in the way that they're dealing with all of these pitchers. Uh, but in particular Wainwright and Walker, um, and I would include Martinez in that cause he is getting his first crack, um, at the rotation this year. Uh, I wanted to play a quick game with you. You've been talking about, we've been talking about the wins above replacement, um, numbers for all of these players. And I want you to bring up the position player, uh, wins above replacement projections, Joe, because I want to play over under with you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's start with Yadier Molina, uh, for my money, the MVP of the team every year, except maybe last year because he was injured. Um, but uh, Zips projects his wins above replacement total to be four and a half wins this year, over 508 plate appearances. For the folks uh, listening at home, Zips projects a 292 batting average, a 340 on base percentage, a 426 slugging percentage. Which works out to a 332 weighted on base average. Very good numbers. Uh, that's an OPS plus of 111, and it sees him worth about a win on defense. So, Joe, over under on Molina hitting four and a half wins above replacement in 2015.
1: Uh, I'm going to have to go with the under on that, and it's not. I wrote an article on how I think the other day about his hitting, about how I think if he changes a certain about a uh, certain part of his approach, he'll be a little bit more powerful next year. But I still am worried about his durability, which I shouldn't be worried about his durability. He's been proven or he's proven that he's a freak, the fact that he's still catching at the point of his career where a lot of other catchers are being moved off the position, but I I just him getting to five hundred and eight plate appearances, though I'd be extremely happy. I I see something popping up pretty similar to what we saw in 2014 where he misses a month or a month and a half of the season. I hope I'm wrong, but that's why I'm gonna pick the under. And it's not because I don't think he's gonna be productive. I think he'll be productive It's just, as you were discussing earlier, War, in in a way, is a counting stat, and I don't think he'll get to the amount of appearances to get over four and a half wins above replacement.
0: And that's a very high number. I I would take the under also. And before we move on to the next over-under, and I would throw in he's getting older, and I just don't see him keeping this up. Now, Zips takes that into consideration, but I think the health and the age i it just worries me and i just don't see him putting up four and a half wins worth of production in 2015 you know it's it's just the way of the world you know the way of the baseball world age and injury kind of can zap that that production uh the number one historical comp for yadier molina according to zips is terry steinbach so take that for what it's worth um I, I just find that fascinating. The historical comps are some of my favorite things uh, that Zips has. I just, I find it so enjoyable. And yes, I am a nerd. Um, <laughs> J- Jason Hayward, uh, the big off-season acquisition from the Cardinals. Uh, Zips projects Hayward to be worth 4.4 4 wins, just a, a hair below Yadier Molina. They foresee almost two wins of value on defense. See, the minions are at it again. And Zips projects Hayward to hit for a 269 average, post a 348 on base percentage, 424 slugging percentage. That works out to a 344 weighted on base average, and a 114 OPS plus. Uh, Hayward, it should also be noted, and this is something that I think we've perhaps beaten to death, uh, is still in his mid-20s, so he's not in the decline phase of his career. He's uh, at least not quite yet the traditional decline phase. So, Joe, over under 4.4 wins above replacement for Jason Hayward.
1: I'm pretty confident on this one and statistically backed by this Uh, pick is probably not the way I'm going but I'm going to go with the over on this and it's not now that I I can talk about some statistics that I think he might outperform but in the back of my mind he as long as he's not extended he's playing for a contract and uh, he's another year out from getting hit in the face and and I'd love to actually and and i might do it now is look at players that have been in their contract year i'm sure there's already articles out there to see how their performance is um and contract year meaning in their prime still i I don't mean like when you're 35 playing for your last contract but hayward's still very much in his prime and he's he's playing right now for a 10 year eight to 10 year deal and i have a feeling that he's going to pretty much go off next year and and that's a lot of more feels than statistics but um that's why i'd probably pick the over with hayward
0: let me do a completely boring pixelated black and white assessment of why i think hayward will be worth more than (laughs) 4.4 wins uh zips projects hayward to have 597 plate appearances here are the plate appearances for his last three seasons 649 last year 440 in 2013 651 in 2012 the difference between those three and we could go back it goes every other year throughout his career in 2011 it's 456 in 2010 it's 623 he's in my opinion he's going to be batting in one of the top three lineup spots, I tend to agree with your post, Joe, that he'll probably be batting second for the Cardinals. If he doesn't get beaned in the face or suffer some other sort of traumatic injury, okay, he's going to get 650 plate appearances. I feel pretty comfortable about that. And I think, you know, you, you throw on another 50 plate appearances to that Zips projection Uh, in terms of offensive and defensive production, and I think he's going to outperform that Zips projected war uh, as well. And now the number one comparator for Jason Hayward at this point in his career is Rusty Greer. So take that for what it's worth. Um, Moving on to Johnny Peralta, Zips uh, projects Peralta to be worth... 3.7 wins above replacement with about a half a win's worth of value on defense. A 106 OPS plus uh, in the form of a 265 batting average, 326 on base percentage, 423 slugging percentage, and 329 weighted on base average. This is one of the bigger fall-offs, and quite frankly, I think one of the most likely fall-offs, and Zips might even be a little more... Uh, bullish on Peralta's wins above replacement for 2015 than I am. But nonetheless, I ask you, Joe, uh, over-under for Peralta, 3.7 wins above replacement.
1: Uh, I'm going to go, which is the opposite of what you're going to do, I'm going to go with the over, but just slightly, because it only has him at 543 plate appearances, and at this point, the Cardinals don't have a very definite backup for him. And I feel like uh, he's going to get more than that. Uh, it obviously depends on where he is in the lineup, too, because I've seen some lineups putting him down at the seventh spot, which this plate appearances would be more realistic for him. Uh, but I think just slightly, because that fall off on his defense, though – it's expected at this point of his career i don't think it's gonna fall off as much as it as they have him uh or as zips has him there i'm saying they now because of you but uh <laughs> but i think just slightly now do i think he's gonna be the 5.4 wins above replacement as he was last year no but I think he could get 3.9 to 4.1 next year and that and that's solely because I think he's it's only the second year of his contract. I think they still expect him to be a a pretty good defensive shortstop and he's playing that premium position and I think he's going to get more plate appearances than they have projected. So I would put the over but just slightly.
0: And that's fair. I just I don't see that defensive value uh which was you know, just ridiculous. Uh, he was worth almost two wins on defense last year, and and I just don't see that again. I think I I, I think that Peralta's 2014 um, is is similar to Matt Carpenter's 2013. It was so fantastic, but it's also going to prove very difficult to duplicate. Now that being said, you know, he was, he's, he's a career 313 batting average on balls and play guy and his batting average on balls and play was 292 last year. So maybe that goes up. Um, But I just, I don't think the power is going to be what it was last year because he hit for a lot of power last year too. And I don't think the defense is going to be quite as excellent and, I think you're right. I think he's going to get more plate appearances than that because his PED suspension shortened 2013 is what I suspect is drawing or pulling that plate appearance total down from zips. So maybe it does all even out in the end and he might be around a three and a half, right in the three and a half to four win level player. Uh, But I just I think he's gonna it's gonna be below that and it, that's not a knock on him like having a three win shortstop is really great <laughs> so you know absolutely or, you especially know especially with the Cardinals yes yeah, so that's a very nice player to have um, and having a three to four win third baseman is is very nice to have as well oh but but before I get to that Johnny Peralta's number one comp is Rich Aurelia. Okay, moving on. Uh, we've got a few more of these to go because I just wanted to get through, you know, some of the the for sure players. Uh, and Matt Carpenter was an interesting one to me. Zips projects Carpenter to be worth 3.2 wins above replacement. That's with a negative value on defense of a couple of runs, a 112 OPS plus. Of course, it's based by and large on that on-base percentage. Zip sees him hitting 276 with a 360 on-base percentage, a 404 slugging for a 337 weighted on-base average overall. So a bit of an uptick in his in his power uh from a year ago, but nonetheless still 3.2 wins. Uh what do you think, Joe, the over the under on that?
1: Now I I feel like I I went with the under with Yachty, right? So at least I had one under. But I, I'm going to have to go with the over again on Carpenter because uh, I, I don't think he's I, – I still consider him one of the best players in the National League. And I I, I don't know. I, I I just think he can – last year he was at 3.8. I think he can get to 3.8 or even 4 again next year as long as uh, he stays healthy and as long as he keeps getting on base the way he is. And, I mean, they have him projected at getting on base uh, uh, 36% of the time, which I think it'll be even higher next year. But, I mean, what do I know necessarily right now? that Games aren't being played. Um, But I'd still go with the over on Matt Carpenter on this one.
0: Uh, I tend to agree with you. Uh, My primary reason is the defense. Uh, Carpenter playing all over the field uh, in his first uh, season in 2012. He's a horrible, horrible, horrible defensive outfielder. Uh, And keep that in mind, everyone, when someone posits that perhaps the Cardinals could acquire a third baseman and move Carpenter to the outfield or something like that. Like Carpenter is atrocious in the outfield. Um, Mm. And that drug down his defensive value uh, in terms of runs saved. As a second baseman, he had a positive value uh, in 2013. and last year as a third baseman, he had a positive value. And if you look at that difference, uh, you could see you know a third to a half of a run made up just on defense alone. and that wouldn't surprise me. in you know with his swing and his line drive ability, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him post an even higher batting average on balls in play uh, next year um, than what we saw this year, which would bring up that batting average a bit. Um, and with the power uptick, I mean, I would just, I, I would not be at all surprised to see the over for Carpenter. Um, his number one historical comp is a player I don't even know who it is. It's I want to say Denis, but I think it's Dennis Manke. Um, and I don't even know who that is. I feel horrible. So if you know who that is, please uh, comment uh, at Viva Albertos or shoot us an email, and I'll probably actually be looking him up. Um, here later this afternoon. Now that I've come across it. It
1: looks like he played with the Braves, the Astros, and the Reds from 1962 to 1974. Uh, he was a third baseman and a shortstop, <clears throat> and he had a career wins above replacement of 26.6. Oh. So he he was okay. I don't know anything about him. He's If he's alive right now, he's 74 years old. So that's a pretty interesting comparison. We learn about a new player every day.
0: Yeah, and that's a nice career. But before my time and before your time, which is probably why we had to look him up on the internet. Um, Moving on, uh, Matt Holiday, uh, Mr. Consistent. uh, Zips projects him to continue his decline, which is not particularly surprising given his uh, mid-30s age. And Zips foresees... 2.9 wins above replacement or about three um with a 275 batting average a 348 on base percentage 456 slugging and a 359 weighted on base average and i wrote um a retrospective on his projections last week uh looking back at 2014 and i made the observation joe that uh for a couple years now, Zips has four zips projected Holiday's batting average on balls and play to drop down to about leg average and to pull his batting average down with it, pull his on base percentage down with it, pull his slugging percentage down with it. And for a couple years, Matt Holiday defied the gravity on batting average on balls and play. He's a three thirty something career batting average on balls and play player. Uh, The league average, the major league average, is usually around 300. So he was, you know, head and shoulders above league average, and I suspect that's because he typically hits the ball real hard. Um, Well, last year, uh, gravity pulled him down, and Zips was extremely close and extremely accurate uh, when it came to projecting his overall 2014 uh, batting line. And so this year we're seeing a similar projection with a a low batting average on balls in play compared to his career rate, but not uh, compared to 2014. In fact, it's a little bit higher than 2014, what he hit for in reality. Um, So with that in mind, uh, what do you think, Joe? Over under 2.9 wins for Matt Holliday.
1: Uh, well, before I discuss my over the under, I, I just find it fascinating that even despite having such a low batting average on balls in play, he's still projected to be the Cardinals' best hitter again in 2015. Uh, this guy, he's he's what? He's 34 years old, about to turn 35, and on a on a team that has pretty good hitters, I I'd say. Um, obviously, the numbers from last year would say otherwise for certain like parts of it, but th- that's unbelievable to be almost 35 years or entering your age 35 season and still be projected as the team's best hitter, and, and it's really not even close uh, when you look at the numbers. But in regards to over or under, I'd... now this is kind of like how I was with Peralta. I think it's going to be over but it's going to be real close. It's going to be the 3.1 to 3.3 range. So he basically he's one injury, which doesn't happen, um, knock on wood. He's played the most games of any left fielder since being acquired by the Cardinals. But uh, – he's basically one injury away from falling below that based on what I think he's going to be. So I think he's going to be at 3.1, 3.3, but if he gets hurt, he'll be, he'll fall just below the the 2.9 projection for him. Uh, Matt
0: holiday will have a four win 2015. Okay. Uh, I called that last week and I'm going to, uh, again, turn my back on my more, uh, realistic outlook that I typically tend to have but I think his batting average on balls in play is going to be 325 330 and I think his power hitting's going to creep back up um and you combine that with a 10% walk rate and even losing a win of value on defense because he's devolved into a quite poor defensive left fielder and there are people who are listening right now who are probably thinking, Ben, he's always been quite poor. He's always been a bad defensive outfielder, but left fielders are a particularly bad group of defenders as a general rule. And so Holiday as a left fielder, he has become one of the worst, I would imagine, of the left fielders after probably being, uh, you know, maybe in the top third of that group, um, so I think I think he's going to be a I don't know, a three eight to four win player. And I'm probably being crazy, but I just I don't see a three oh nine batting average on balls in play, and I certainly don't see a sub three hundred one from a guy who hits the ball as hard as he does. And that's that is the primary basis of my prediction. The other reason no actually this isn't a reason, but his number one comp is Dusty Baker, which I just love. Um <laughs> and uh, let's move on. This is, this is the one I feel like there is not a lot of possibility for the Cardinals to outperform their projections this year. If that makes sense, these are all, you know, I feel like these are mostly, or I shouldn't say outperform. I should say like perhaps break out of their projections. You know what I mean? Like have this, that's like head and shoulders above what Zips is projecting. I think this player is like the breakout candidate. And it says something to how good the Cardinals are projected to be, according to Zips, that Colton Wong, the player in question, is projected to be worth two and 2.4, so basically two and a half wins above replacement this year. Um, and that is based on good defense, good base running, a 264 batting average, a 310 on base percentage, a 389 slugging percentage, and a 310 weighted on base average, which is also a 93 OPS plus. So uh, with me having said, hey, I think this guy could really, you know, break out, you know, now I even find myself, maybe that's setting unfair expectations for Colton Wong, because a two and a half win season is a very good season. Um, But, what do you think, Joe? Over under two point four wins above replacement for Colton Wong.
1: And even before you said all that stuff, so our listeners can't believe that uh, or can't think that I was unfairly led into this pred- uh, prediction. But I think <laughs> he, he'll be. I think he'll be over as well. Um, I think he'll be over by at least a win, in my opinion. And Ooh. a lot of that's. Uh, yeah, as a lot of that stems back to, so that would make him a three point four win player. That, yeah. That's pretty. That that's pretty amazing. But I'm I'm gonna stick with it. Um, I think that's more reasonable than your your four win projection for Matt Holiday. But we'll we'll revisit that one later. Uh, I I love Colton Wong. Don't I? I'm not gonna marry him or whatever. But I, I really like Colton Wong as a player, and I really like. Uh, the power that I saw from him last year and I've followed him pretty pretty closely since he got drafted and and I, I never really saw him as a, that much of a home run hitter as what we saw last year especially if you include the playoffs but then when you take a, a closer his swing just looked so you know it almost looked violent and when I see that he's only projected for 11 home runs next year, I think, let me check. Uh, Yeah. They have him projected at 11 home runs. I think if he's given 550 or more plate appearances, I think he'll eclipse that by a lot. And I, and I tweeted that the day after the projections came out that uh, I'm pretty sure he's going to eclipse that. And I don't know. He's an, at least going to be a year out from that shoulder injury that he suffered, and, and I remember discussing with you that injury pretty in detail, and that that I think that had a negative effect on his swing for a, for a portion of the year, and he I mean he got a couple cortisone shots, and it looked like he was good to go in the playoffs, and I think I think he's going to get at least three and a half wins next year, or three point four or higher next year.
0: Uh, And uh, Aaron Schaefer and I uh, talked about this last week, and you brought up his violent swing, but that bat speed that he has. It's it's very impressive. The thing about the power with him, and I think that I've just – Springfield has conditioned me to reduce down left-handed hitters' power numbers. It's sort of like the curse of Daniel Descalso you know, who had this amazing Mm -hmm. partial season in Springfield as a left-handed hitter. Um, But you see it, you know, Tavares, Matt Adams, uh, James Ramsey. You know, there's lots of examples of left-handed hitters who have hit very well in Springfield. And for folks who don't know, the Texas league is typically thought of as a hitter-friendly league. And Springfield's uh, ballpark, Hammons Field in particular, uh, is friendly uh, perhaps even more so to left handers i haven 't looked at the lefty righty numbers in there um, but Colton Wong went to Springfield and had a very good season. Um, he hit two eighty seven with a three forty eight on base percentage and a four oh five slugging but that 's only a one nineteen iso which is still a you know like above what you would think of as as average for a big leaguer, or it's good for a second baseman, but not eye popping like if someone's going to have this you know, this breakout power hitting season, like in the majors, he's probably going to hit for more than a 119 ISO in Springfield. But then you look at what bookend the the minor league seasons that bookend that for Colton Long. And it was only 222 plate appearances in the quad cities, but he had a 175 ISO. And I actually saw him hit a home run into the Mississippi river uh, in Davenport, (laughs) which I just felt like sharing because that's always fun when that happens. Um, and then in 2013, when he was with Memphis, uh, he hit for a 163 ISO. So he, the Midwest League is not a hitter-friendly league. The Pacific Coast League is, but uh, Memphis does not have a particular a particularly hitter-friendly park for the PCL. And so you're seeing power numbers there, just not in this place where you would expect them to just kind of explode, you know. Um, and then you look at he had a 173. ISO in the 18 games during his foolish and dumb demotion early in the 2014 season. Um, all of that, I guess, to me kind of suggests, hey, maybe we should have seen power numbers at this level as a as a potential outcome for Wong, but I certainly didn't expect him in his rookie year. Um, and so I'm very interested to see what his uh, 2015 looks like, because it just sure feels like he got his feet underneath him and he's ready to take the Major League Bull by the horns, so to speak, um, and just put together a very good sophomore campaign. So I'm with you. I think he's going to uh, outperform his Zips projection. Um, And I'm very – he is the player that I'm probably – well him and jason Hayward uh, but wong i'm I'm very intrigued by his yeah, num- and, and, go oh, ahead go ahead I'm go. sorry Joe
1: and another thing with Wong is now we obviously don't know as much about this, but it it, it seems like he's a very i'm not gonna say emotional player but I think he thrives when he – and everyone does, but him especially thrives when he's got confidence behind him. And like you said that he's ready ready to go. And he had a really – all things considered, he had a really good rookie season, a really, really good rookie season. And I think that – and this isn't statistically based at all, but I think that little confidence that he has – from 2014 is going to be huge for him in 2015.
0: Now, how much of this is because of his 483 ISO in the postseason? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, postseason numbers are very predictive. Yeah, of the future very are you, very predictive.
0: Are you suggesting that he isn't going to have a 724 slugging percentage next year?
1: Yeah, he's yeah he's going to be the next Barry Bonds, but playing second base, I think.
0: And you know we've. We've talked about this a little bit as well, how he has this ability to go. I I wrote a post uh, when he came back uh, earlier this year when he went on that Bondsian run. It was right before the All-Star break, if I remember correctly, where he was just jacking home runs left and right. And he kind of went on a – he did that a few times. And he's not Barry Bonds, as you say, but obviously. I mean, duh. But (laughs) he can go – on like a Bonsian terror, and he did, yep. or a Bonsian terror. It's not a Bonsian terror. Maybe it is. I don't know.
1: But he yeah. he did
0: it at multiple times, and he did it in the postseason. And, you know, when you see the ability for a hitter to just catch fire like that and hit for that kind of power, it's, it's very enticing, especially especially from a second baseman in this day and age with where the offense is
1: and then one more thing on Wong before we move on uh I wrote that post on Jason Hayward hitting second uh I think it was a week ago now and there were people there was a good percentage like 25 to 30 percent that wanted Colton Wong hitting second um as excited as I am about Colton Wong and I think I just showed it I mean I whipped out a Barry bonds comparison that should be that should be pre- show that I'm pretty excited about him. I don't think he should be anywhere near the top of the lineup yet. Uh he, he was really good in the <clears throat> in the minor leagues with on-base percentage, but he hasn't proven that in at the big league level. And until he can, though I'd love his speed at the top of the lineup, though I I think that's kind of overrated, especially with him. Uh I don't want him anywhere near the second spot of the lineup until he can prove that his on-base percentage can be elevated a little bit. Because even during his, and obviously postseason isn't predictive at all, but even during the postseason, his on-base percentage was below 300. And a lot of his success was just fueled off the fact that it seemed like every one of his hits was either a a double, triple, or home run. And, And I'd rather see that in the five six or seven hole rather than the second hole because he he just doesn't get on base enough so though obviously a big portion of our readership and listeners believe he would be good for the second spot I I don't want to see that in 2015 or unless there's like 300 plate appearances where he proves that he's got a 340 or a 350 on base percentage then maybe you can tinker with it, but I don't at all want him to start 2015 as the number two hitter.
0: With Jason Hayward, Matt Carpenter, and Matt Holliday on the team, Colton Wong should not take a single plate appearance in the second spot next year. And it's those guys are all three grinders who get on base. And I, you mentioned on-base percentage, and you're completely right. And I like to think about it as out percentage, kind of as the negative flip side of that coin. And why would I want someone who's going to make an out 70% of the time batting second in this lineup when I can have a player who's only going to make an out 65 or less percent of the time? And frankly, probably less. It's probably 64 or 63% of the time. It makes no sense. Um, all it is is this... Sort of notion that we've been indoctrinated with since Whitey Ball. And I grew up in the Whitey Ball era, so I'm not unsympathetic to it that we want people who can steal bases at the top of the order. And I just, I don't think we necessarily want someone who's going to be running in front of, you know, Matt Holliday either. I think you can leverage that better if he is batting sixth or seventh. Um, You can put a runner on second base where a single uh, by John Jay, who doesn't hit for power, as an example, scores him. And I just, as long as Hayward, Carpenter, and Holiday are healthy and in the lineup, Wong should not take an at-bat in the number two spot. I completely agree. I disagree with the folks uh, who think that should happen in 2015. Uh, Wong's number one comp, Martine Prado. Not bad.
1: No, not bad at all, especially given it's only going to be his second full year in the big leagues. Well, technically his first full year, given how he was handled last year.
0: All right, moving on uh, to the Federalist, John Jay. Uh, he is projected by Zips to be worth 2.3 wins above replacement. That is with a zero run value. A net zero run value on defense, which means he's not below average. He's not above average. He is exactly average for a center fielder, which I feel vindicates me, Joe, because for years I've been describing his defense as (laughs) average-ish. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm I'm completely joking, obviously, a projection system. But that's always been my impression of him. I don't think he's particularly good. I don't think he's particularly bad, although he was particularly bad in 2013. I think he just had a bad season. Um, but that uh, wins above replacement total is held up by a 284 batting average with a, two, a 352 on on-base percentage, a 374 slugging for a .318 weighted on-base average. That's with a .090 ISO because, just to remind everyone at home, John Jay hits for no power whatsoever. And so this is a batting average-driven value, right? He's an average defender. He hits for no power. Batting average leads him to 2.3 wins above replacement. Over 530 plate appearances. Joe, over under.
1: Alright, well, as anyone that follows me or on Twitter or or knows my some of my articles, I, I feel like any answer here would be seen as biased because everyone knows that I'm one of John Jay's biggest supporters. So with that in mind, I'm going to actually go with the under for this one on John Jay at 2.3 wins above replacement. Uh, so that people and, and my, my responses are, are, the people that are listening are going to be like, oh, well, I thought you were a John Jay apologist. Well, like you said, his, his power is going down. His power was never particularly high, but his power is going down He's coming off of wrist surgery, though I'm not at all worried about the wrist surgery he had because it was just a cleanup procedure. Um, I just, I, I, think he can be a two-win player just below the projected 2.3 and still provide a lot of value to the Cardinals. Um, I don't know if he'll get to 530 plate appearances, and I'm sure a lot of people really want to, Peter, which I'm not necessarily one of them, but a lot of people want Peter Borges to get more time and and I think he will get more time next year, especially because an outfield with Jason Hayward and Peter Borges in the outfield at one time would, I mean you basically have to seek out like not many balls would fall into the outfield with those two out there so I think he'll be just slightly below 2.3 but in the back of my mind, um, and this is my bias coming out, is I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's at 2.3 or above 2.3 because um, I, I think he's a solid player, and I think when his career's over, people are going to look back and be like, man, he was actually pretty good, wasn't he?
0: No, he he's, he's a very nice player. Um, one thing I wanted to point out for folks is Zip's – Projects a two hundred eighty four batting average based on a three thirty two batting average on balls in play. Um, you know, if if his if it drops that far, um, you know, Borges should probably be getting a shot to play over Jay uh, because batting average is his skill. Um, and the thing that I find kind of interesting is. That 332 is, you know, maybe a little bit closer as a batting average on balls in play to his 2013 than his 2014. And I think the reason for that is Zips tends to regress batting average on balls in play pretty heavily. And if you're J true believer, you're probably going to think he's going to be around 345, um, right around in there, probably, and then thus closer to the 290, 295 batting average. And maybe that's enough to keep him in the order. It probably is, because I assume that Mag Matheny only looks at batting average uh, <laughs> when making decisions. Um, that being said, I mean, I'm going to go with the under, because um, I do think he's an average player. I don't think he's going to get 530 plate appearances. And I don't think he's going to have a three thirty two batting average on balls in play. But that's still, I mean, I don't think he's going to be much worse than like a two-win player. But, you know, it's important to keep in mind... He was a 1.8 win player in 2013, and that's what prompted the Cardinals to go out and get Borges, And I think prompted a few folks to kind of turn on him, uh, you know, as a player. I think some of his misplays in the postseason contributed to that, too. Um, But it's a very interesting question. How far does Jay's batting average have to fall for Mike Matheny to give... Peter Borges more more playing time? And I don't know the answer to that. That is an interesting thing to look at. Um, I don't know if we'll even get to see that experiment play out uh, over the course of the season, because I don't know if it's going to fall that much. But uh, it's just a question that I ponder, and I think a lot of people do. It's it's a point of discussion in, among Cardinal fans, uh, at least the ones uh, who come and discuss baseball at Viva Alberto's. Last over under Joe is Matt Adams. Zips projects Adams for 501 plate appearances for 1.4 wins above replacement. This is with a slightly one run above average defensive projection and a 281 batting average, a 317 on base percentage, a 457 slugging. Or a 335 weighted on base average. That's with a 176 isolated power. I think this was one of the projections that caused a lot of um, eyebrows to raise. And so I ask you, Joe 1.4 wins above replacement over under for Matt Adams.
1: Again, this is one of those where you're like, that's right at where. I would think. I think he's a a one-and-a-half-win player. Uh, But just based off of, I think he's going to get slightly better against lefties. He won't bat as much against lefties with the addition of Mark Reynolds, but I hope he still gets some time because I don't want him to lose all development against left-handed major league pitchers by having Mark Reynolds take all the at-bats. But I think... He's going to get slightly better. I think he's going to have more plate appearances than they have projected for him, as long as his elbow's okay, which I'm still really confused about because it was a huge factor at the end of 2013. Then, like last year, he had the the elbow pad on for like part of the year and then off and then back on, and so I, I really have no idea what's going on with his elbow, which is obviously a very big factor in this whole thing, especially with his power. But I think he's going to be, just for the sake of being over or under, I think he's going to be over, but it's going to be right at 1.5. It's not going to be like two or more wins above placement next year. I think he's going to be right at 1.5 or 1.6, and that's largely due to he's just going to get very slightly better against lefties. And he's going to have more plate appearances than what they have projected for him.
0: Yeah, I I'm hard pressed to see Adams being much better than this projection. Um, I think I think his ability to to outperform it is basically due to his number of plate appearances. Zips projects 501 you know, assuming, even if we don't assume perfect health. Last year he only played, I shouldn't say only, but he played in 142 games and notched 563 plate appearances. So I think, you know, he he will probably outperform it just because of playing time. But I don't think the rate stats, uh, you know, I, it, they all feel pretty okay to me. Um, a two hundred eighty one batting average would not surprise me at all. A 317 on base percentage would not surprise me at all. A 457 slugging percentage, which has a 176 isolated power, uh, would not surprise me at all. And so, but Adams only getting 501 plate appearances would surprise me. With the way the Cardinals have, have talked, I think he will probably get 550 to 600 plate appearances. Um, it doesn't sound like they signed Reynolds to come in and be like a a platoon partner with Adams. So Reynolds is going to start against every lefty starter. It doesn't sound like that's the Cardinals' intent. And so I think he'll probably get more uh, plate appearances than 500, and I think he'll probably outperform it. Um, for those of you wondering, Rico Bronya is the number one historical comparison for uh, Matt Adams. He played for the Tigers, Mets, Phillies, and Braves from 1992 through 2001. Um, and his, his career numbers look remarkably like Matt Adams' uh, 2015 projection. Uh, the difference between Adams and Bronia is Bronia was a... Uh, uh, not a very good fielder at all. And it occurs to me I forgot to tell you what John Jay's number one historical comparator is, and that is Del Unzer, who was a outfielder for the Washington Senators from 68 to 71, the Indians in 72, the Phillies, Mets, Expos, and Phillies again. He had a, a long career, um, didn't hit for much power and uh, was okay on defense. So uh, that is Jay's historical comparison. Um, Enough about the over-under game, although I thought that was fun, Joe. Um, That was a good time. I wanted to ask you uh, what I'm going to call the last bench spot. Um, I am operating under the assumption, perhaps an erroneous assumption, that the bench is largely set. Tony Cruz is the catcher. Borges and Gritchik will both be there uh, as bench outfielders. And Mark Reynolds is the pinch hitter slash first baseman, maybe third baseman as well. And that leaves one final bench spot. And I've just kind of assumed that Dean Anna was the guy because he can play every position on the infield, including shortstop uh at least serviceably um but the cardinals also added ty kelly a switch hitter who's kind enough to join us uh here on the viva alberto's podcast friend of the podcast ty kelly um and so i wanted to see uh given the fact that our friend is involved um, <laughs> or the podcast's friend um uh, how do you see that that bench in that final bench infielder spot playing out or do you see it taking just a completely is my is the premise that i have of the bench the way that i see it the already written in permanent marker spots are those incorrect or is this a kelly versus anna competition
1: um i don't even see it as much of a competition personally it, as long as because Kelly, I don't even think he's played a whole game of shortstop in his career in the minor leagues. Uh, and unless they expect... Because you, you picked Grichik as being on the bench, correct? Yes. Okay. So if Grichik's on the, on the bench in the big league club, which is a whole other discussion for another time maybe or even later, I don't know, you need someone that can play shortstop. And because Peralta he's he, though he was very, very durable last year, he, he's going to need some time off, and you can't just throw anybody out there at shortstop. It's arguably the most important position on the on the, the diamond. So I, I feel like it's Dean Anna's really to lose, and if he does lose it, they're going to have to have a shortstop back there for him.
0: And that's, uh, I tend to think Anna is the guy um, as well because he can play shortstop. I mean, I even viewed that as part of the reason, well, Anna's cheaper, but also, you know, Daniel Descalso should probably never play shortstop in a major league game. I've been teasing my brother via text message. My brother lives in Denver, and I've been teasing him that for 40 games next year, he's going to have to watch Daniel Descalso play shortstop while Tulewitzki is on the disabled list. Um, But I thought that was why they targeted Anna, um, was his ability to play defense better than Descalso. And what I mean by that is his ability to serviceably play shortstop. Um, And that differentiates him from Ty Kelly. And so, you know, it wouldn't... It would surprise me if the opening day bench and this is excluding injury, if everyone's healthy, it would surprise me if the opening day bench is not Dean Anna, Mark Reynolds, Gritchick, Borges, and Cruz. I mean, do you, do you think that's a fair conclusion to draw?
1: I think that's a very fair conclusion to draw though. I, and I've said it on Twitter though. I wish, and, and we've discussed it in the past, though. I wish Gritchick was, was down in Memphis getting, getting some more time and, and, basically opening a spot for Ty Kelly but based on where we are today and based on comments that we've heard from both Mike Matheny and Mosaylock I think that's pretty much what I would expect with, with the bench but obviously there's still a spring training to go I mean those spring training statistics are kind of pointless uh, it, it's still how spots are won And one like Anna could go one way and Kelly could go another and Gritchett could go another and and everything could change. But at this point on January 4th, 2015, that that's what I would see the the bench as going forward.
0: And uh, I am right there with you. Uh, Something else I wanted to talk about a little bit is the bullpen and the shape it has taken. Um, I don't know who the last arm in the bullpen is going to be, Joe. Um, and so I wanted to, to talk a little bit. Uh, it sure feels to me like Randy Choate might yet be traded this off season. Um, Although, as, as we've talked about uh, off the air, there are a lot of left-handed relievers still on the free agent market. And I think that the Cardinals shopped Chode around and perhaps the teams who might have interest in the left-handed reliever looked at the free agent market and said, no, we can get, you know, a lefty in free agency uh, pretty easily. And so we aren't in- interested in Chode. But if you look at the way uh, that the bullpen has come together, I think very clearly Trevor Rosenthal Slotson as the closer, Jordan Walden... Obviously, with the contract extension buyout he signed is the setup man. Belisle is guaranteed a spot. Seth Maness has pitched well in relief uh, for a couple of years. I, I think he's a shoe in for the bullpen as well. Uh, then we move to the left side of the pen, and you've got Choate, who I think is a shoe in and then probably Marco Gonzalez because I don't and that presupposes there isn't an injury in the rotation during spring training, Um, then you have this last spot. And so I want to – it sure feels like there could be a non-roster invitation or two extended, and this could be maybe even the minor league farmhands who are not on the 40 man could come into spring training and perhaps secure that last bullpen slot. And it just feels really wide open to me. And so I wanted to see, Joe, what, what do you think about uh, the way the bullpen has taken shape this offseason?
1: Um, I actually really like the bullpen, um, the way it's, it's taken shape. And I like the addition of Walden. I mean, obviously, he was part of a, a pretty big trade that got him over here. But I like the extension <clears throat> that he got. I like Belial. I, I really like Belial um and I like the versatility of Belial and Marco in the bullpen <clears throat> but in, in regards to that last spot I it, basically if they don't bring anyone in including if they don't bring anyone up for that's not on the 40 man it's between Kevin Segrist and Sam Freeman well uh K- Sam Freeman's out of options uh Kevin Segrist was. Awful last year. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I, I'd need some direction on who would get that last spot if we don't bring anyone in. Because though I'm very excited about the one, two, three, four, five, six, six guys that are basically shoo That that seventh guy in the rotation. I, I don't. I'm not too bullish on those on that last spot either one of them because though I liked uh, what Sam Freeman brought for I think a month where he was just like lights out he he still struggles to throw strikes and and I don't really I don't like that in a bullpen at all and I especially don't like that in a guy that's going to come in and and face lefties for maybe one batter maybe two batters I don't know Freeman showed that he can get lefties and righties out but his inability to consistently throw strikes doesn't appeal to me but with him being out of options like i feel like if he's dfa'd someone's going to pick him up and he's going to be gone and then segrist though he was phenomenal 2 years ago last year he was not very good and and he obviously had all those arm injuries that we were dealing with and and when they started bringing up nerve problems, that that just scared me a whole lot. Which is why I think what you were saying, there's a chance that we bring in some uh, another invite. But when we when you look through the list, it definitely feels like you're scraping at the bottom of the barrel because I don't think anything is available. But obviously, that that worked a little bit last year, as we saw with Pat Nishek. So. Maybe uh, maybe it'll work again this year. Who knows?
0: Uh, and with Segrist, the injuries I think are cause for concern. You know, he had that long DL stint. Where he had forearm issues, I think they called it like an irritation, uh, and then he had the MRI after the regular season and before the postseason that developed that showed inflammation in the forearm and torn muscles like in his hand. Um, yeah, which is just very strange to me. Um, just the way, and and we always have this problem where the way that major league teams describe injuries to the public and the way players talk about them, uh, you know, with HIPAA and with other considerations, we never get the full picture. Okay. And, and that's just, that's, just the way it is uh, it's better than hockey at least <laughs> yeah uh, but nonetheless you have those those injury issues right and you wonder will a full offseason allow him to heal or was well number one 2013 is as good as kevin segrist is ever going to be he's never going to have an era that low uh though he his peripherals were still good um but i just look at it i would I'm not really planning on much from him. It's not Jaime Garcia bad, where it's whatever he gives us is icing on the cake, you know. Um, But I would be surprised to see Seacrest be as effective uh, as he was in 2013. Or even, you know not as effective, but still a good reliever. The injuries, i it's just, it all seems very strange to me, and it makes me wonder if there's an underlying condition. You know, ir- consistent, like, inflammation in the forearm just sends up all kinds of red flags for me. Um, Freeman pitched himself into the NLDS doghouse in Game 1, wasn't used again that series, and was then... Taken off the postseason roster for the NLCS and replaced with AJ Pierzynski, who is not a good baseball player. And so I I look at Freeman and I don't think he necessarily has a leg up in this competition either. Um, what about Tui? Do you do you?
1: Oh shoot! Yeah. Do I you forgot think? Forgot about him.
0: And I just look. He's you know he's a new pitcher. He doesn't have a lot of. Uh, innings under his belt he's still very much you know it's a cliche but still more a thrower than a pitcher and i'm not trying to be uh, negative about him i'm just saying he seems like a player to me who would benefit from some more time in triple a i mean he he started pitching in 2012 and threw 13 innings he threw 35 and a third innings in 2013 and then last year, uh, he uh, and then he went to the Arizona Fall League and threw 14 innings. And then last year, he pitched in high A, double A, and he amassed just under 60 innings. Then he threw an inning and a third in triple A before coming up to St. Louis in September and, and getting an inning and walking a lot of guys, and it, it was not a pretty inning. Um, and that was the only inning of work against the Reds, I, if I remember correctly. That was the only inning of work Matheny gave him in September. Um, And so it it sure feels to me like he's going to start in Memphis. And understandably, justifiably so. I I feel like he has more uh, development to do. But you look at his stuff, Joe, I mean, I think it's uh, outside of a healthy Kevin Segrist, which is... In my opinion, quite the caveat. Um, it's certainly the best uh, of the contenders for that last bullpen spot, as it's presently comprised. Uh, do you think he stands any sort of uh, chance at all of making the opening day bullpen?
1: I mean, I'll, he had a good fall league, um, yeah, but which was good to see because I I was under the impression that he was, by the time he got to the Cardinals, he was out of gas. Uh, he had, he pitched uh, three different levels in the minor leagues. Uh, four, no. Yeah, three different levels in the minor leagues last year. And by the time, like you said, he's, he's not been a pitcher for very long. I thought he was out of gas. But the fact that he did pretty well in the fall league, now he had a little bit of a break before then, um, was very nice to see. But he's only thrown an inning in triple a in his entire career and being such a new pitcher and having such a tough time i mean it was only two games in the big leagues but having such a tough time even just finding the strike zone i really do unless he sets the world on fire in triple a or in uh, spring training i see him starting the season in triple a and especially given that there are more proven. Now, We obviously, we don't know with Seagrass, his health, but he's at least proven at the big league level that he has been successful at one point. And Freeman has proven to be successful unless Tui can just absolutely tear it up in spring training. I I see him starting the year in, in AAA, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's up in the big leagues a lot earlier than uh, September call-ups because I am very excited about his future, and I, I really do think he can be a force at the the back end of a bullpen. It's just he needs some time, and he he needs some experience, and he needs some refinement of his secondary offerings because we all know he has the elite fastball, which we didn't necessarily see in in the two games that he pitched, because he was, if I recall correctly, he was in the 96 to 97 range, whereas we've been here in 98, 99, 100-plus in the minor leagues. So obviously minor league radar guns aren't necessarily as accurate, but I think I think he'll start in Triple A, but we'll see him a lot sooner than, than September call-ups.
0: I think you're probably right. Uh, I, I think he, he just needs to develop consistency with his delivery and consistency with his breaking ball. And if he's able to do that, I think he could see a call-up. But, uh, you know, he's so new to pitching, repeating his mechanics, repeating his delivery, getting uh, consistent break and consistent ability to spot that breaking ball um, are going to be very important. Uh, I'm interested to see if the Cardinals sign an established big league reliever to a minor league deal with a non-roster invitation, similar to what they did with Neshek last January, Um, and that is something as unsexy as that is, um, I think that's probably much more realistic than any sort of uh, Max Scherzer signing. Um, With that being said, we're approaching, Joe, an hour and a half. And uh, I think we might want to wrap up this uh, 14th episode of the Viva Albertos podcast. I want to thank you for uh, being my guest. It's always a ton of fun to talk to the Cardinals, even in January, uh, with a fan as passionate about the game as yourself and with the insights that you provide uh, due to all the great work you do for Viva Albertos. So thanks for joining me, man.
1: Thanks for having me, and uh, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. And... uh... Let's look forward to spring.
0: Absolutely. And the it's not a polar vortex, but something roughly analogous to a polar vortex has ripped through Iowa and brought snow, and it's supposed to be like five degrees this week. So pitchers and catchers reporting to sunny and warm Florida cannot come quickly enough. Neither can baseball season. We hope this uh, extended version of the Viva Albertos podcast has helped perhaps keep you warm on this baseball-less January day. Uh, Thank you for listening, thank you for reading,
1: and go Cardinals!